Well, good morning, guys. How's everyone doing on this fine day? Uh, well, in God's providence, um, Nathan was asked to preach on the sermon this week, um, and we're looking at parents and children's Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And, and one of the things that uh, Will and Nathan and I have been talking about is how do we best disciple our children? Um, what, how do we best uh, equip kids in kids' ministry? And one of the things that we agreed upon was that kids' ministry should not just be a hour-long daycare upstairs for the kids. Um, although that might be maybe a perspective that some parents have or even some churches have, that the church is kind of leading the way and calling parents to surround them um, as the, the church disciples the kids. Uh, we think from the scriptures that it's actually the parents' responsibility, uh, specifically the fathers, to lead the family and disciple the children. So we are thinking, how can we best equip the families to lead so that the church comes alongside the leadership to lead? Uh, and as many of you guys know, Stephanie has kind of been heading up kids' ministry uh, for the past been two years now. Um, and something that Stephanie and I have been talking about is that we really felt like, uh, although Stephanie has done a phenomenal job with kids' ministry, that we needed a, a, a male leader to take the lead in leading kids' ministry. Uh, so we talked about that and prayed about it and uh, approached Nathan. So Nathan, starting today uh, and talking about this passage, will be taking the lead on uh, kids' ministry. Uh, not that Stephanie's going to be kicked to the curb and she's not going to have any part of it because uh, I don't think... Because I need her. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be clear. But we're, we're starting, just like last week, how we started the conversation of uh, husband and wives, male leadership, wife submission... We're not going to be able to cover everything today. This is what we're trying to do. We're starting to start the conversation, cast a vision of what, what, what do we want this to look like? What do we want the children in the church to raise up uh, being? And we do not want it just to be an hour-long daycare um, while the parents listen to sermons on Sunday. Uh, we want it to be all-encompassing, uh, all of life discipleship, and the whole church has a part in that. Um, not only kids in this church, but the kids in our, in our city, the kids in our neighborhood. Uh, so with that being said, before I start... Um, He's stealing my thunder. That's all yeah, right. stealing yeah. Nathan's thunder. Yeah, no, um, that's all right. <laughs> why don't I say a prayer um, for this, and then Nathan will we'll dive into the text. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness and uh, your word that is authoritative and clear, that instructs and shapes the way we think and function as a church. Father, I thank you for uh, Nathan and uh, Will and uh, this church that you have uh, formed and are forming. Uh, we thank you for the children that you've placed in our midst, um, both that gather with us on a Sunday and, and we see throughout the week. Father, I pray that uh, the men, the fathers in this room would uh, step into their God-given calling to lead the family and uh, come alongside those who don't have fathers, for the widow, the orphan. Uh, Father, we pray that this would be a, a welcoming uh, family for those uh, that have broken families, dysfunctional families, uh, single parents, single mothers, uh, that that we might all serve one another and encourage one another to become more like Christ. So we love you, we thank you, in your son's name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. So today's going to be a little unique as far as um, my preaching today. Um, in a way, you can almost 
break this down into two parts, uh, the, what this sermon's going to be about. Uh, I'm going to be teaching this passage that, we did, that Peter just read. Um, we're going to be diving into it, teaching it like we normally teach our passages here like at the Mountain Church. But then the second part, yeah, like as Daniel's saying, I'm going to kind of transition, kind of do a little something different than we normally do. I'm going to transition it to more of an application piece for as far as, so what does this practically look like as we talk about the philosophy of children's ministry here at the Mountain Church? What is this really going to look like? What do we want this to look like? Um, and kind of dive into some of those pieces as well. So it's almost going to be like two different sermons. Well, not really. They're connected. But, you know, so that means I get to go twice as long. Um, actually, no, you guys should be happy that I'm the one doing this because, you know, if you know me at all, like I'm usually, I don't like talking that much. So maybe, maybe you guys are going to be all right. Um, <laughs> with that being said, um, let's dive into this text. If you, if you have your Bibles with you, um, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to be diving in. Verse 1, Paul is still teaching. Um, he's, he just got done. You, you, if you guys were here last week, you know he just got done talking to wives and then talking to husbands, charging them. And then he turns to children. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, first question we kind of have to answer is, who specifically is Paul talking to? I mean, we know he says children, but like, what does that mean? Does that mean like, I mean, are we talking about like, and a lot of people like to apply this into the idea that like, well, he could be, yeah, he's talking to children, but he could be talking to any children, even adult children. If you still have parents here, you know, he can be teaching you and that sort of thing. Like this is for anybody who has a mom and dad. And while I definitely think there's some principles and we'll talk, we'll get to that a little bit, especially as we get into verse two, that still can be applied if you're an adult child. I think we would be missing if we don't really address the fact that who is Paul really talking to when he originally wrote this letter? You got to remember in the original context of how this would have been read, it would have been read in the church of Ephesus as they're gathering together. They would all have been gathering together in, in a room or in a house, wherever they're meeting at. They would have gotten this letter from Paul. They'd be all excited because Paul is the one who, like for many of them in that room, he's directly the one responsible for leading them to Christ his messages, his relationships that he had built with them for those, for the time that he was there, you know, and now they got this letter from Paul. First thing you got to understand is, well, we break it up into chapters and verses, and we've been going over this for, what are we at, like two months now? This would have all been read, this entire book, would have, this entire letter, it's not a book, it would have been read in one sitting, They would have the families sitting around the room, you'd have the parents and the children, and you would have had one of the elders or whoever would be up there reading this letter. And he would have gotten to this point, they would have gotten to this part of the letter where, you know, it's, it's, it's very deliberate in how, and who Paul's talking to. He would have been like talking to the wives. And, and like at that point, you can almost imagine the person reading the letter would have been like looking at the wives, making sure they're listening to what Paul's saying. Talking to the husbands, making sure the husbands are listening. And then you got to the children part and the word that he's, specifically uses for children, is definitely referring to children, like little ones, like kids. It's not referring to like adult children. It's, we're, we're talking about children. So let's just be clear on that. So having established that, you know, we could say, well, there's not that many children here, so we can just skip to verse four and let's like, you know, scoot on right by. Except the reality is when this is being read, I mean, some of you, you, those of you who have children or have had children know 
How many times you got to say something to really get it into their heads? Sometimes. All right? Especially if you can imagine that letter has been, been read. We would had what? We had like, you know, five chapters before that. Like, you know, the kids would have, you know, even kids back then, as disciplined as they probably were, you know, their attention span might be a little bit off. Even as the, guy, the preacher says, children, like, you know, they listen, yes, they maybe hear it. Would it have been, would they have walked away and been like, okay, I got it. I figured it all out. No. Whose responsibility do you think it would be to make sure that they really heard, that they really understood what was being taught? Yours, parents. So that's why it's important that we dive into this text and really understand what is being said. Because it's important for you guys, whether parents, grandparents, or just friends of parents, to be able to understand this so that you can help parents apply this to their children's lives so you can help children understand why this stuff is important. So he says, Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now, this phrase, in the Lord, uh, some, some, some uh, versions say, as to the Lord, in the Lord. You can flip this all the way back. And Daniel did this last week when he was talking about the application of, husband, of wives and husbands. You can, take, you can trace this all the way back to Ephesians 5.1 when, Pete, when uh, Paul first started preaching. Or, or not preaching, when Paul, Paul first transitioned from like teaching them about the different theology, different things they were learning. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children of God. As beloved children of God, we are to be imitators of Christ. We're supposed to be imitators of God. And this application now comes all the way to children. Children, obey your parents as to the Lord, as to God in the Lord, meaning be imitators. This is how you're, as children, are meant to be imitators of Christ, by obeying your parents being obedient to them. The idea being that we, you know, that Christ was obedient to the Father. So when we talk to our kids about obedience and what does that mean to be obedient, I think it's really important to understand something. I think it's really important for kids to be taught something, but I think it's really important for you parents to know something. Your kids do not have to be obedient to you because, of something that you because it's something that you deserve. Let me say that one more time a different way. The reason why kids are to obey you has nothing to do with your deserving of it. Now I say that and I know right away, like in our minds, in my mind, as I was thinking about this passage and as I was reading this passage, I was like, well, but I mean, but then at the same time, like, I mean, come on, I do a lot for them. I, I work all the time. I bring money. They're eating because of me, all right? They have food on the table because of the stuff that I'm doing, all right? They're safe because I provide them shelter. They're, you know, they're, I, I, you, we start rationalizing all the things we do for our kids, right? Because we do, uh, hopefully, you, you know, you do a lot of things for your kids to keep them safe, to keep them fed, to keep them this. So it's very easy for us to, like, in my mind, like, to start justifying why my kids should obey me. But I think it's at that point we really got to look ourselves in the mirror as parents and ask ourselves, so you think you're so deserving. How much more is your heavenly father, who is perfect, who is good, 
deserving of your obedience. And yet, how many times do you, person in the mirror, disobey them, disobey him? And as, I'm, as I was convicted on that, I was like, man, like every day, honestly, like there's something I do that like I know is in disobedience to his words, his commands, what he desires for me, his guidance, his instructions. Like, he's the one who's perfectly deserving, and yet I'm just this disobedient child of his. What makes me so proud in thinking that my kids should obey me because of how great I am? How perfect I am? Because the reality is I'm not. Now, let me be clear. Don't walk away from here thinking to me, thinking to yourselves, well, Nathan says my kid don't have to obey him. But obey me. Nathan's saying that my kids don't have to obey me because apparently I don't deserve it, so I guess I'll just let my kids go crazy. It's not what I'm saying. Let's be clear. I'm just talking about the heart of the matter. I'm just talking about what it really comes down to as far as how we should be instructing our kids, as far as the why. And yes, we should be teaching them the why. Even from a young age, even when it's really hard for them to understand it, it should be something they hear from us all the time and talking about why. And I mean, if you, if you have kids, you know at some point that becomes their favorite word anyways. Why? Why? It has nothing to do with how great you are as a parent or how awful you are as a parent, thankfully. Because for some of us, for myself sometimes, I'm not that great of an example of being a father to my kids. But it's about them being obedient to you because it's the model that Christ presented to us for how we are to be to our earthly fathers because of how he was to his father. In fact, when Paul talks about Jesus in the book of in the letter to his, to the church in Philippi in Philippians, when he when he when he describes what Jesus did, he says he humbled himself, becoming human. He says, being obedient. He uses that word obedient. Being obedient to the point of death. Who is he obedient to? Us? No. Jesus wasn't being obedient to us. He was being obedient to his father because that's the mission that his father laid out for him. That's the instruction his father gave him. And so he was obedient to his father, being willing to even die because that is what his father willed. When we teach our kids to obey us, when we teach our kids that they need to listen to us, what are we telling them? Why, what, 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 is, what, is the, what is the heart of the matter for them? What are we trying to teach them? It needs to be directed to them to them learning that this is how you can imitate Christ. This is how you can tell the world that you are different from the other kids in the world because you're trying to model something bigger than just saying, well, I got to do it, otherwise my, kids, my parents will take away my allowance. Again, I'm not saying don't give consequences. Let's be clear. I'm just saying we need to be getting to the heart of the matter. It needs to be resonated in our hearts of why we expect obedience from our, kid, from our kids. We need to let go of the pride issues that we have when we demand obedience from our kids. To think of like, 
I, I do it all the time. Why do I expect Daniel to listen to me or Mackenzie to listen to me? Well, because doggone it, I'm their dad and they need to listen to me. It should be so much bigger than that. It needs to be convicting to our hearts so that we can be helping our kids understand the conviction so that it can become part of their hearts. He says, for this is right, the idea of this is righteousness, this is what righteousness looks like when they're obedient to us because they are trying to model that representation of Christ to their heavenly father, obeying us not because we are so great, but because he is so great. And this is what he wills from them. Transitions to verse two. He says, honor your father and mother. Now, I don't want to make the assumption that everybody's heard this before because maybe you haven't, but in case you didn't know, this is a pretty uh, you know, common, popular uh, statement. This is, Paul's directly quoting one of the commandments from the Ten Commandments that were given back in Exodus chapter 20 to Moses and the people of Israel right after they escaped from Egypt. It's commandment number five in case you wanted to know which of the ten it is. I didn't have to look that up. Just want to say. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. All right? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I want to talk about this word honor for a minute. And this is the, this is the part of the sermon where you can def- I definitely want to encourage you if, you, if you, if you're in this room and you're an adult and you still have a mother and father that are in this world, this is definitely a part where you can definitely take a little bit of application to your life. This is a definitely a part where you can definitely, you know, apply a little bit to how you are. That being said, again, the primary focus is on children, little ones. All right? But I definitely want to encourage you to think about this word honor and what that looks like. In context of what Paul is preaching, he is, again, he, he is inferring that the primary way for kids, little children, to honor their father and mother is through obedience, is through listening, is to following their lead, is to doing what they say, following their instructions, heeding their teachings. Paul's saying, by doing this, you're honoring your father and mother. You are doing what is right by this commandment. Now, that being said, we know that word honor. He uses that word honor it can also apply to other ways. There's other ways to honor your father and mother than being obedient. If you're in this room and, you know, like I said, you're an adult and you still have a mother and father, there are still ways that you are or should, I should say, um, should apply this command to your life. I'm not saying that you necessarily need to be obedient to them anymore. Okay. My mom can call me today and tell me, Nathan, I want you to clean your room. Now we can debate whether or not I should listen to that (laughs) command, but whether or not I'm required to obey my mom anymore. Now that I'm an adult, now that I have my own household, my own family, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm a father and husband to my family. The, the requirement for obedience is different. Is that, I, mean, I hope that makes sense to people. Like, there's a different requirement for obedience once you are no longer under the direct authority of your parents. 
okay? That being said, honor, it doesn't mean you, you no longer have to honor them in ways. And the primary way, uh, one of the ways that I, I was, as I was reading this and I was looking at other passages, I found an example um, from Proverbs 31 when it's talking about um, a, a biblical woman, a biblical mother. It talks about how her children, um, probably have to look that verse up now. Our children heed, like, heed, heed, her, heed their mother, or they speak well of their mother. They, they encourage their mother, they lift her up. In other words, they praise their mother. It's all about the verbal affirmation, the verbal way they speak of their mother. And what I'm going I'm, I'm to challenge you on is honoring your mother and father when you're an adult child, one of the primary ways that should be happening is how you speak about your parents. When it comes up, when people ask, what are you saying about them? How are you honoring them? Are you uncovering all their dirty secrets? Are you, are, are you speaking of all the frustrations that you haven't let go of? Or are you actually like just, you know, giving them the honor that they deserve? They, they raise you, you, you're still alive? Hey. I do want to take a step back real quick in saying this. Um, when talking about obedience, the idea of obeying your parents, and when talking about the idea of honor your father and mother, we have to understand that when Paul was writing this out, and when he's thinking about his original audience, there are some assumptions he was making about the people that he was writing this to. Primarily being that he was making the assumption that the parents that he was commanding the children to be obedient of because he probably knew them, he knew who they were, he knew them well, that they weren't trying to lead their kids in ways that were contrary to God's command. They weren't instructing them to do sinful things, that they weren't instructing them to um, do things that cause them to be in danger. Paul is probably making the assumption that when he's, te- when he's giving kids this command, or we know he's, I mean, based on other principles in the scriptures, and knowing that Paul wouldn't have contradicted other areas of scripture, we know that he wouldn't have been giving this command to obey your, to children to obey their parents if their parents were in any way teaching them to do things that were in direct violation of God's commands, God's law. They were in direct contradiction of things that God had, you know, put in place there. There's also an assumption being made that none of those parents were causing their kids to be in danger or um, it, that they weren't in abusive situations or anything like that. I think it would be an unwise interpretation of this passage to say that children need to be obedient to their parents even if their parents are asking them to do something that is completely wrong and completely sinful. I think it would be a wrong interpretation of this passage to say that kids, need, children, need to be obedient to their parents when their parents are directly putting them in physical, emotional, spiritual harm. If they're dealing with a situation of abuse or anything like that, 
mean, just from everything else, everything I see in scripture for what I was saying, I don't think this means that a child has to sit there and be obedient to a father who is a drunkard and an abusive person. Um, I think that there's definitely a conversation to be had, and I'm more than happy to have the conversation because I think it, I, I, I think it's a difficult conversation. I don't think there's a black and white thing about what honoring looks like in those situations. I do, th- I, I do think that in some way the idea of honor still applies, but that being said, I think it can look like there's no like clear way of what that looks like depending on the situation and what we're talking about as far as um, parents who, um, whether they were abusive, whether they were neglectful, whatever it might be. Um, So I'd encourage you, I mean, like if you have questions about specifically, well, what does it look like to honor my parents because of X, Y, and Z, whatever that looked like, um, you're more than welcome to have a conversation with me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, and I don't say that in saying like I'm gonna have the perfect answer for you. Um, more than anything, I'll, I'll probably I'll, I'll be praying for you and I'll, I'll be you know giving you what I can. And same with Will and Daniel or anybody like you know. I encourage you to talk to somebody who you can trust about something like that and someone who can be guiding you in Scripture, guiding you in that type of thing. Because I do think it, it can get messy. Let's be honest. Life is especially in today's today's world. Um, the family can be a pretty broken place. So I don't want to um, make someone think that this passage is um, black and white interpret like throughout. No matter what, no matter how your bad your father was or whatever, that you have to be. You just have to like sit there and take it. Take it. Again, I think there's a difference between how far you take it to the other extreme, but still, I think there's, that, that's a conversation. Verse 3 talks about the promise. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, what does that mean? That it may go well with you and, live long, and that you may live long in the land. Here's the thing. There are some people, oh, they're probably godly people, that would take this to kind of mean that, hey, I think God has kind of given us a secret to a long life. Hey, that like, you know, like if, if you're very honoring of your mother and father, like you're going to live pretty long. Um, I would love that to be the way that I think that, you know, it was universally being meant. I don't think it was, to be honest with you, because I definitely don't think that that means that everybody who dies at a young age, oh, Guess they didn't honor their mother and father enough. <laughs> Guess we know the truth about them. I, don't, I, I think that'd be like, I think, you know, that's taking it way out of context in a, in a, in a way that it wasn't meant to be taken. Um, I don't want to like have anybody thinking like, oh, I guess I better get to honor my mother and father because I want to live to at least 70. Um, or how, how, how much honor do I have to give my mother and father to at least make 60? Um, you know, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't get applied that way. It's not meant to be looked at that way. Uh, in order to understand the promise, I think there's a, a one th- first thing you have to do is, again, it goes back to context, right? Like, well, when was the promise given? You got to understand, this promise was given when Moses first wrote down the Ten Commandments from God himself, when they wrote it down. Look, you can go back, Exodus 20, look it up. It says, 
that, you know, honor your father and mother that you may, you know, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, remember, for those people, they had just come out of Egypt. Where are they headed? They're headed to the promised land. A, a, a land flowing of milk and honey, a land that is finally their own. They don't have one. They're, they're a lost people, and they've been promised from the days of Abraham that they were going to get this land, and now they're finally, gonna, they're, they're finally on their way to claim it, and God's promising them that, basically saying, about this land, you will live long in the land if you honor your mother and father. Now, you understand that this is the only thing that God instructed them as far as what they needed to do in order to live long in the land. The book of Deuteronomy lays out like a contract, basically, uh, what was required of the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, in order to be blessed in their new home. In order to receive the blessings of God, there was all these things they had to be doing. Okay, And if they didn't do it, then here was all the curses that were going to happen. And then if we follow the story of the nation of Israel through the Old Testament, you see time and time again, they fail to follow God's commands and they receive discipline for it. They have a neighboring country that comes and conquers them or oppresses them or do different things. And then they try to, they, they'll repent and they'll, they'll receive blessing again. And then they fall back away and then they go back into sin and they go back into being uh, oppressed. And eventually it leads to the point where they, they're, they're so far from God, they've so fallen away from his standards and what he's requiring, that God just sends them into exile. He lets the nation, the nation of Babylon come, take the southern kingdom of Judah, and they just all get taken into exile to Babylon. And the reason for that is because they were, like I said, they were in direct violation of these commands that God had given them as far as how they were supposed to live to honor him, to be making him their God. And because they didn't follow those, that lifestyle, that, those, that set of rules that he, he had had, they had the consequences for it. Now, you go back to this idea about honoring your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I want you to imagine for a minute, and it's hard to imagine because the reality is we know that it's not really true, that if we had had a perfect generation of parents that first hear that rule, that then perfectly teach their kids, the rules, and perfectly disciple their kids to follow the rules that God the Father has laid for them. And then you have a perfect generation of kids that honor their mother and father, that take that instructions, they apply it to their lives, and they live out those commands as well. And then they move up, and then they pass it on to another perfect generation. You can see how if, if this had been happened, we know this didn't happen because we know there was no perfect generation in the Bible. This is, I don't think there's any perfect generation today. We know that because that didn't get applied. But if it had gotten applied, if it had gotten applied perfectly, this idea of honoring your mother and father by, and the father and mother perfectly passing on God's, God's knowledge, God's laws to them, God's love to them, you can see how the idea that God has, the ideal way this is supposed to play out, is that, yeah, they would just continue to follow his instructions. They would continue to grow. They would continue to be prospered. They would continue to be blessed. They would have lived a long life in the land of Israel because they would have just kept following his commands. So that's why God gives that promise saying, if you honor your mother and father, if you follow them perfectly, if they're giving you 
the perfect guidance, then you will live long in the land. Because you will have followed me. You will be following me. You will be following my rules. You apply this now, when Paul's preaching it in the book of Ephesians, what does that mean like the land? Because he wasn't telling the Ephesian church, oh yeah, someday you're going to go back to Israel and live in Israel. That's not what he was saying. In this context, the land, the idea of the promised land has a whole new meaning. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about heaven. We're talking about what the land was supposed to represent. A home for them where God is honored ultimately above all else. It was meant to represent what it was going to be like when heaven came down to earth, when we lived with God forever and ever. You want to live long in the land, you want to have eternal life. And the idea being for the Christian church, if we have generations learning from a good generation that is teaching and guiding them, they honor their mother and father and learn that, then they will have the same result. That all being said, like I said, we know we don't have any perfect generations. We know, hopefully we know, I know, that I am a broken person and I need Christ. I need the gospel. I need Jesus to come be my savior. And the only way for my kids to inherit eternal life is the only way for them to do it is by realizing someday in the same way that they are broken people. Hopefully you're not sitting here thinking that your kids aren't broken because I'll tell you they are. I'm broken. My kids are broken. If you, if you, if you watch your kids really closely, I'm sure we all would have no problem agreeing. Oh, yeah. They're sinful little people. <laughs> I love them. Uh, <laughs> like I said, look in the mirror because it's, it's, it speaks only so much truer to us who are older and yet still just as broken, just as sinful. We need Jesus. They need Jesus. And that's how eternal life gets passed on, is by recognizing that need for Jesus. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. It talks then in verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, I want to talk about the fact that he just says fathers. He doesn't say parents. He doesn't say fathers and mothers. He just says fathers. Now, I don't think that Paul chose to address fathers because this idea of uh, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord only applied to fathers. I don't think that Paul says fathers because he's saying, mothers, you don't even have to worry. You don't have to do this. You just got to like, you know, like make sure the kids don't kill themselves and let, let, make, make the fathers do all the work. I don't think that's why Paul says fathers here. I think he says fathers here for a couple different reasons. One, because going back even to what we talked about last week, what Daniel preached on last week, there is a responsibility to be the spiritual head of the household that falls on the husband, on the father. There is a responsibility um, that they are supposed to play out. There's also, there's also the, I mean, 
I, I think in, in some ways, especially in the, so in that context, in the context of the early Ephesian church, you got to remember, you got to know that once the children reached like age seven, I believe, like it was, it was this understanding in that context, in that culture, that they were then like under the direct authority then of the, of the fathers in the household once the kids reached age seven. So there's a little bit of that going on too, that fathers would have had this direct authority relationship with the kids. Now, again, that doesn't mean the mothers weren't present. That doesn't mean the mothers weren't there. It just means the father had a little bit more role that he was supposed to play at that point, at that age. Again, that doesn't mean the fathers today, you don't, you don't have to be worried about your kids until they turn age seven. Don't, don't take that and run with it, all right? So there's a little bit of that going on with the context of how, of how the Ephesian church would have heard it. I also think like, and, and be honest with you, this is a little bit of me. Like this, don't take this as like uh, being 100% um, doctrine or anything like that. But I do believe there's a little bit of the fact that um, Paul has to call out fathers because, and this is a generalization, this isn't like, I know this is not 100% of the way that it goes, all right? Uh, but for the most part, I feel like there's a natural, because whether, whatever it is about mothers and why they rock so much, um, there's a natural nurturing and natural love that mothers are rarely, uh, and I say rarely, like I said, I know it's not all the time, but it's, it's rare that a, a mother is not actively present in their children's lives. It's rare that mothers aren't actively, like, you know, there to be nurturing, to be there to love them. And, um, but at the same time, I think, I don't think the same can necessarily be said true of fathers. I think fathers, um, I don't know, for lack of better ways, sometimes they get their butts kicked a little bit to actually do fulfill the role that God is calling them to. And I think that's kind of why Paul I think that's one of the reasons why Paul calls fathers out here. Because fathers are being called to, to, to have this role in their, li- in their family's lives. Like you're meant to be the spiritual head. You're meant to be, you know, that's, I think that's why, like, I mean, if, if you're here for last week's sermon or if you, if, you ha- if you weren't here and you haven't listened online, I really encourage you to listen to Daniel's sermon last week because it was awesome. And um, when you look at that passage that he read over, like, that's why, like, there's so much more instruction to, to husbands than wives, not because um, husbands are more important, but because I think husbands sometimes um, just miss it more than more than women, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I think in terms of this, the same type of thing is like fathers, it can be so easily, uh, we can so easily just miss it as far as like being active in our kids' lives, being actual like, um, presence in our kids' lives in a way that it, we are called to do. Um, that being said, like I said, I'm not saying that what I'm about to tell, what we're about to read, means that women, mean that women and mothers don't do this because they are called to do this. But I think that the attention's to fathers because of those those things I, I was talking about. It says, "Do not provoke your children to anger." Um, in Colossians, when Paul says this, he says, don't provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So kind of the opposite thing I would take from this idea of not provoking to anger means encourage. I mean, don't set your kids up to the point where you're just always on their case. Don't be the parent, don't be the father, don't be the mother that is constantly just 
knocking your kids down without any kind of buildup at all. Don't, get, don't break their spirits, is one way to say it. Don't break their spirits to the point where they are just an angry or broken or hurt person. We know our kids, that if, I mean, some kids more than others, they can be pretty fragile. Okay? Again, that doesn't mean you don't discipline them or anything like that, but in your raising of them and your instructing them and your teaching of them, don't let them become a discouraged, broken person. Make sure you're building them up. Make sure you're encouraging them. It says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This idea, but bring them up. Um, the, that Greek word that they interpret as bring them up there is same word that would mean nourish. Okay? Idea of nourishing, meaning like, and you think about nourishing, we're talking about feeding, right? Like, talk about how you are called like you know sometimes we ask like you know like what does it mean to be like spiritually fed paul's saying this is what you're doing to spiritually feed someone you're bringing them up you're feeding them up in the discipline and the instruction of the lord your children you are called to be nourishing them feeding them building them up with these instructions with this discipline that comes from the lord this is how you feed their soul this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what, 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 what Paul's calling out all fathers, all mothers to be doing. How are you nourishing your kids? What are they getting from you? What are, the, what are the consistent messages they're hearing from you? Is it just do what I say, just do what I say, do what I say? Or are you giving them something deeper? Are you actually feeding into their soul the instructions of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord? Are you tying it all together for them? Or are you just hoping it like, and I get it. Are you just hoping some days to just get through the day? Time and time and again, just like I'm just trying to get through another day without losing my mind with you kids. I get that. But we're called to do so much more than just get through each day. We're called to do so much more than just tell our kids, listen to me and do what I say. We're called, we're called to do so much more. I mean, we obviously, for the most part, most of us would agree that we have responsibilities to physically feed our kids, right? We would, most of us would agree that we have responsibility to physically keep them safe. And Paul's saying you have just as much of a responsibility to spiritually feed them each and every day, making sure that this is a constant thing, that you're nourishing their soul by constantly teaching them, by constantly instructing them, by constantly disciplining them as in the Lord, meaning following his guidelines, this idea of discipline is the will. It's talking about the will, meaning like you're shaping their will to be the will of the Father. Again, getting back to what I said in the beginning, why are they obeying you? What is the will to? Now, though the will isn't to obey me because I'm saying so. Your will to obey me is because this is what God wants from you. Your will to, to, to do as I'm saying or... or, or or follow our family and what we're doing is because this is how God, the Father, wants you to live. Are we teaching them the will? This idea of discipline. And by the way, this, this idea of discipline and instruction, these, these concepts, there, another similar, uh, similar word in the Greek is the chasten. So there is a little bit of a, of a um, hardening that's going on here. I don't want to make it sound like it's just a, a, a nice and rosy thing. Oh, well, just do this because it's, uh, you know. It, it sometimes has to be a little bit of a like firm hand. 
like meaning, and because part of it is you got to be consistent. This has to be a consistent thing being taught. It has to be a consistent thing being reinforced. You're not bending. You're not breaking. You're not going back and forth. You're not all over the place. Like, um, you know, like I've, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen it where like, you know, a parent can be like, oh, I'm, you know, letting the kid go, letting the kid go, letting the kid go. And all of a sudden you fly off the hand and you're at 90 degrees the other way because you finally have had enough. You know, like there's a consistency point here of discipline, okay? doesn't mean you're overbearing, but it also doesn't mean that you're, you know, hands off most of the time because you just want to kind of let it go because it takes too much work. And then all of a sudden you finally do get in and you're over the top, all right? There's a consistency piece of discipline to instruction. The idea of instruction being the mind. Now now let's talk about just teaching, the mental teaching. What are you teaching them spiritually about God? What are you teaching their minds as far as what they're supposed to be doing? How are you training their mind? This is how we're meant to be nourishing our kids spiritually. A consistent discipline, a consistent instruction in teaching them the ways of the Lord. And by and, and in doing so, by the way, and this is I'm gonna start transitioning now to the kind of the second part. In doing so, by the way, that doesn't mean we act perfect or we talk like we're perfect, like we got it all figured out. Okay? It means sometimes you are open and honest with your kids. Meaning sometimes when you do mess up and you're not being this consistent nourisher of their, of their needs, like you are going back and forth and sometimes you do, or you get angry, you let yourself get angry at your kids and you discipline them out of anger instead of disciplining them because it is, you want them to actually follow God, but you're just upset with them. Maybe it means you got to go back and apologize to them. I know I've already apologized to Mackenzie a few times in my life, in her short little life. Having to apologize because I got angry with her rather than letting myself just correct her in the ways of the Lord as he would, as he would have me do it. But kids need to, but we need to be, we need to be that example to them of being able to show our flaws, being able to like bear that to them so that they can see that we're not perfect because then what are we pointing to about who is perfect? By confessing our own imperfections, we tell them how much that just shows us that we need Jesus just as much as they need Jesus. I want to talk about, so like, I said, like we said, part two is kind of talking about, what. so what is children's ministry at the Mountain Church? What do we envision it being? What do we see it being? Um, and in order to kind of talk about what we envision seeing it being, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, it's, I'm going to play off of basically three things that, Children's ministry at the Mount Church is not going to be. Okay, that's how I'm going to teach you what it is going to be by teaching you what it's not going to be. All right, because uh, maybe maybe it's because my mind just works in the negative. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, first thing, Mount Church, children's ministry at the Mount Church is not going to be. It's not going to be all about what the leaders of the mountain church or the teachers upstairs, it's not going to be about how they're doing discipling your kids. Let me say that again. It's not about how 
well, how good the leaders of the mountain church and the teachers of the mountain church are discipling your kids. If that is your expectation of a children's ministry, and I think for a lot of us, that's kind of might be the expectations we have because that's kind of what we've been conditioned to have as far as expectations of children's ministries or any kind of youth ministry or anything at any church. We look at it in terms of, well, how well are the leaders going to do discipling my kids? Are my kids going to really listen to them? Are my kids going to relate to them? Are they good teachers? Are they, you know, how, how, how good are they doing at, at, at this sort of thing? Now, I'm not saying that we're, I'm not going to care about how well our teachers are doing. Let me be clear. I'm saying by us prioritizing that as a children's ministry, what we are doing is we're taking our church and we're taking a ministry of our church and we're making it basically into um, an item on the shelf to be picked out like, a, like you're shopping for something. Well, how well is this one? Is this going to really be really good or is this not going to be really good? And also what it's doing, probably the biggest thing that it's doing that, I, that we have issue with, is kind of what Daniel was saying, is it basically makes it so that you, your mindset in looking at church and looking at the spiritual development of your kids, it ends up becoming more focused on my responsibility as a leader, on Daniel and Will's responsibility as leaders, as the teacher's responsibility as leaders. They become the ones who, in your mind, are primarily responsible for your kids learning about God. And there's a big problem with that. My big problem with that is I would welcome anyone to point me into the passage in Scripture that tells me that church leadership are the ones responsible for your children to be discipled in the ways of the Lord. That's not, not, let me be clear. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that we don't have a filter down as far as our responsibility in discipleship. But every passage you read, where is the responsibility for discipleship of your children going to be placed on? Parents, fathers, mothers. It goes back to the parents. So by me saying that that's not what our, children, what I, what our primary uh, focus of our children's ministry is going to be, what I'm trying to say is my primary, our primary focus for children's ministry, what we aspire to do, is with you guys, the parents to equip you guys, to teach you guys, to be there for you guys, to be walking hand in hand. Our children's workers should be looking at it in terms of, yeah, they're, giving their, they're teaching your kids upstairs right now. But my goal is that they're giving you, whether it's the take-home sheet or whether, whatever it is, or they're hopefully you know, you're, you're asking them questions as you go upstairs. Hey, how can I be reinforcing these ideas with my kids throughout the week? Again, going back to like how well do our kids really like sometimes retain information when they're just getting it all in one little spurt. Um, when I was when I was a youth pastor, we used to do an illustration where you you know you you take a you take a big jar, you know you fill it up with a few marbles because that's how many hours they spend with the church every week, and then you start putting marbles in their thing from everywhere else that they spend their time. Guess the percentage that has the largest amount of marbles? Yeah. It's going to be either school or it's going to be your homes. School and homes, the two biggest things. Now, you might not have a lot of say of what's going on at school, but you have a lot of say of what's going on in your home. You're going to be the, you are meant to be the biggest influences. We as a church, we as church leadership, want to be there to encouraging you, the parents. 
For those of you that aren't parents, doesn't mean you get to, get, get to like be like, oh, guess no one have to worry about that. No, how are you encouraging the parents of this church? How are you trying to come alongside the parents of the church? And how are you helping to reinforce the same godly principles that the parents are enforcing when you do interact with the kids? They're all around in case you missed it. They're running all over the place. How, how are you reinforcing that with them? How are you being, how are you being another example to them? Because the beautiful thing, the thing I'm so thankful for is the more I'm in my, invested in my community, the more I'm invested in the people of my gospel community, the more I'm invested with Will and Daniel, is my kids get to get exposed to other godly men and other godly women than just me and Megan. Because I've already said this, and I'll say it several times, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect in, 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 in best being the most godly example to my kids. There are men in this church that are going to be stronger in godly characteristics that I just am weak in. I think about um, the idea that, like, I mean, very simple one for myself is, you know, I struggle. I'm going to be confessing with you guys, and if you guys know me, you know this is true. Uh, I struggle all the time having a very good servant's heart when it comes to, like, doing something, like, out there, like, wanting to be the first one to jump out and be like, oh, Cameron, you have, you know, your fence is down? Like, I'll come, I'll come help work on your fence. Like, that doesn't come first thought to my head. But you know what that is? I know that's something that Cameron's really good at. So the more that my son gets to hang out and see Cameron doing that, the more he gets exposed to like the more well-rounded picture of what God is all about. And that doesn't give me the excuse to not then, oh, he, he has Cameron. I don't have to be better at my... I still got to work on me. I'm just saying, we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses, and we sh- the more we're in community together, the more parents can help one another in raising our kids to see the better full picture of what God is meant to be. So don't see children's ministry, please don't see children's ministry as just the idea that the church is now responsible for my spiritual, or my kids' discipleship. We're not. You are. I'm not saying we don't have a part of it. We do. And we take that very seriously. That's why we have a children's ministry. But it's, my prim- our primary focus is going to be trying to equip you guys and wanting to be here for you guys. If you guys are struggling, please come talk to us. Let us know. How can I be praying for you? How can I be helping you? Do I, do, you know, come ask people of your gospel community. If, you, if you're at a point where you know you're losing patience and you need a night away, is there somebody in your gospel community that could take your kids for a night? I bet you there is, especially if you, let, if you, if you open yourself up and be vulnerable to that need. Second thing that um, children's ministry is not, and this is kind of actually like, I mean, this is very played off the first thing. Children's ministry is not just, the children's ministry of the Mountain Church, I do not want it to be just a Sunday morning thing. Okay? And that's kind of, I'm already kind of hitting on that, the idea that it's not just about what's happening Sunday mornings upstairs. That's part of it but it needs to be something that is trickled out and part of the kids' lives each and every day 
starting primarily with you as parents because you're the ones who are having the most interaction with, but even for the rest of the people in this church, as you're interacting with kids throughout the week, because as we hopefully are doing as we should as gospel communities and being more invested in, our, in, our, in, lives, in our, each other's lives again, more and more, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, are we having those, are we helping the parents reinforce those ideas? If you're right now on a rotation to serve at the, uh, another gospel community as childcare, now I know that that's, a, <laughs> that that's a lot of work, all right? I realize that watching like six or seven crazy hyper kids is a lot of work all at once. And I'm not saying that the whole time you're going to have, okay, let's all sit down and like, let's have a discussion. You know? But as you're just hanging out with them, as you're talking, to the, as you're able to interact with the kids' little pieces, are you asking them, oh, what was your lesson from on Sunday? Are we asking them questions? Oh, what, you know, you know, whatever it is. Like, are we asking them questions about, you know, oh, what have your parents been teaching you lately? Or, or have you guys read a thing? Are we trying to prepare? And, and by the way, me, Daniel, and Will are in more and more discussions too about actually providing like other things at these gospel community times so that we can be providing you guys with tools. But I recognize the fact that some of you that um, do that for us aren't necessarily teachers or skilled teachers, so I'm not trying to, we're not going to try to do anything that's going to put you in an uncomfortable situation because it is also just providing that watchful eye over the kids during that time so that gospel community can meet. But at the same time, there's little simple things that I think we can be doing to enriching that time for the kids. And I think it starts, like I said, in the conversations that you're even willing to have with the kids, questions you're willing to ask them. Or when correction comes up and you have to say to them, are you just, you know, are we keeping it as simple as, oh, don't do that? Are we asking them questions? Oh, why would you do that? You know, do you know this and this and this? Just a little bit spitballing here, but, you know, I think there is a lot more that we can do if we ask ourselves, you know, consistently throughout the week. So I don't want the children's ministry to be just viewed as something that happens every Sunday morning, and that's it. It should be something consistently being applied throughout the week. And finally, and this is the last thing I want to talk about, um, I don't believe that children's ministry at the Mountain Church, when we think of what kind of children's ministry we are trying to have, I don't believe it's supposed to be an inward-focused thing. And what I mean is, we shouldn't look at children's ministry, but yet this is what most churches do. This is what, honestly, I find myself doing the majority of the time. We look at it in terms of what kind of ministry are we having to our kids? What kind of ministry, what kind of thing are we doing with our church's kids? What kind of impact are we doing, are we looking to have with my kids? We think of it all internal. We look at our, we look at this idea of children's ministry. We think of the idea of upstairs and just with my kids being upstairs. We think of it in terms of like me shepherding my my kids at home, or we might think of it in terms of like other parents of the gospel community helping develop my kids. There's a lot of my's, a lot of ours, a lot of we, 
that ends up happening naturally as we start talking about this. But we know that when we, when if if you've been around the Mountain Church for long, if you've heard Daniel speech about uh, speak about the vision of our church, our church's vision is much more outward focused. We're met, we're we're trying to develop an outwardly an outward mission in impacting this community, the the Des Moines area, for the gospel of Christ. But it's almost like naturally, what I want to do is I'll I'll start thinking, yeah, like, oh, I need to I. You know, me and Megan, we, we need to have an outward focus. We need to have this concentration about, you know, reaching our neighbors and reaching these people. And I'm not saying we don't do that. But then we kind of, when we get to children's ministry, we're like, oh, but how are we going to take care of Mackenzie and Daniel? And that's all we think about. We keep it just inwardly focused. We just keep it, like, focused on our kids. Um, I was listening to a sermon this week. Um that talked about how more and more um, churches, the church, the American church, is kind of lending to, in in some ways, creating bigger um, divisions between classes, between races, rather than bridging them. The American church, because we are becoming more and more centered in churches about ourselves and people like us, that we end up being more and more dividing the, the, um, whether it's a race gap, whether it's a class gap, whatever it might be, we end up pushing those barriers and those, uh, that division further apart rather than bridging them together. And I was hearing this, and I was hearing this, and I remember... Um, And I remembered something as I was, uh, I, used to pa- I used to be a pastor at uh, Grace Church up north, and uh, me and the senior pastor would get in a lot of discussions a lot of times, Pastor Ryan, um, about some of the issues we saw facing our kids. And one of the biggest ones that always came up was the issue of fatherlessness in communities. Not our kids, I should say, like, yes, in some of our kids, but, like, just in the community that we saw, in the, in the, in the in the kids of the schools, of the community, in our community that we have reached, we, we, we talked about the issues of fatherlessness. And I think based off the uh, most recent census, um, it was something like 27%, I think, of children today um, are raised in fatherless homes. 27% of kids don't have a father at home. Um, and then what's really heartbreaking is I think about that, and then, then there's so many other stats that talk about the consequences of that. I'm going to read some off to you, and these are hard statistics to go through. And I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. When I, when I hit you with this, I'm not going to just leave you down. I promise. Um, 63% of youth suicides in the nation are from fatherless homes. of all homeless and runaway children are from runaway homes. Or from fatherless homes, sorry. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems 
came from fatherless homes. 71% uh, of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. And then some of the positive stats. Children with fathers who are, invo who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Um, children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's. And then um, another kind of high rate is that 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. And then 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. I say that stat because as we are looking to be a church that is outreach-focused, that is focused on reaching this community, um, I think there is a calling, at least I feel called, um, as our kids start attending, whether, whether your kids are already attending elementary school or as they start attending elementary school, as they start being part of soccer teams or baseball teams or you start arranging play dates with kids, start going to the park dates with kids and other kids, as they start building these relationships, what are you doing as parents to build the relationship with those other parents? What are we doing to try to um, start getting really involved in the lives of parents at our school, at, of, of our kids' friends, or even if they're not friends, just their teammates, their people that they see, are we developing those relationships? Are we asking questions? Are we seeking to learn about them? Because the reality is there are probably a lot of parents, they're, they're not probably, I should say, there are a lot of parents right here in Des Moines that are struggling. There's probably a lot of single mothers. I love the ministry that we have with that Lighthouse uh, organization. I love the ministry that the Gospel Community of Wills is doing. Um, and building those relationships. But I think those are the type of things that I'm talking about here. The fact that, um, is it once every two weeks or once a month that you and uh, twice a week, twice a month? Twice a month, uh, Will and Kelly, Aaron and Pam, and, and Peter and Caroline have one of the moms over um, with, their, with, their, with their kids just to hang out with them, just to build more relationships with them. That's the type of thing that we need to be doing, church really about children's ministry, we need to be finding families that are hurting in our schools, on those teams. We need to be seeking to build relationships and start getting into people, invested in people's lives. And we don't need to do, we don't do it with, I mean, I want to be careful because I don't want you to do it with this attitude or this mindset of thinking, you know, you're, you get an opportunity to develop a relationship with a, you know, a kid that 
doesn't have a father at home or, or even just kids that are just like whatever, just need, they just need someone else in their lives and start coming at it with this kind of hero complex that we can naturally get into, into in our heads, being like, oh, well, I'll be your father. I'm going to fix all your problems. I don't, want to, I don't want you to do it with that approach because the reality is you need to be probably, you probably need to talk less than you need to talk in those type of relationships. Probably need to just do a lot of listening. Just need to be present and there. And, it's, and, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, it's not going to be, um, won't always be easy. And it's not always going to produce the fruit that you hope and pray it will. You need to be prepared to invest some of yourself into these people and be prepared that it might not necessarily end the way you hope it would. doesn't mean that you're going to fix anything. Because the reality is we're not the ones who fix anything. God is. And we're just called to be his instruments here in the church, here in the Des Moines community, called to be his missionaries. But that doesn't change from the fact that we are called to do this and we are meant to do this. Those stats are heartbreaking to me. And... I don't think we can fix them completely because we are just we're just a few people. But I think starting with one relationship, as we kind of have been talking about, like me, Will, and Daniel have been talking about it, if we just focused one relationship at a time, we don't know the impact that God can have in that. And we just need to start somewhere rather than letting hearing problems like this, like we tend to do, like I tend to do, honestly. I've heard those stats before. Ask me what I've done about them. I haven't done anything. Um, but we need to start somewhere. So I really encourage you, if you have kids and they're either at school or they're about to be at school, really encourage you to challenge yourself. What are you, what are you doing to really get engaged with some of the other parents in that school? Or even just one parent, set of parents in that school. Somebody that just looks like they could use friends, use people there to be supporting them. For those of you that don't have parents, or don't have parents, for those of you that don't have kids right now or don't have kids that are of that, or of that age, you know, they're adults or whatever, um, don't think I'm letting you off the hook. Um, you have parents, you, I promise you, all of you, because I know most of you that are part of this church, you have people in your, in your gospel communities that do. What's to stop you from trying to go with them in developing those relationships? You know? I love that, like, Carrie and Stephanie um, have come to a couple of McKenzie soccer games so that they, and, you know, have opportunities in, in meeting other parents at, that, at those type of things. Like, you know, those are the type of things that we need to be that you, you, we all should be taking advantage of, you know? Ask those, fam- those, those parents in your gospel community that do have kids, hey, is there something that I can be coming with you at, with the kids? You know, is there, some, is there a way I can be kind of investing there? We, we've had a, we, we have a great ministry going on with Pacific Middle School with the open gyms, and I, I want to continue that. I don't want to, I'm not saying that needs to be ignored, but... Speaking as a former youth pastor, 
be honest with you um, and also speaking as somebody who had who has still um, had a 15 year old girl come and move in with me because she had no home um, no solid home anyways um, how do I word this the the mountain to climb over those type of cases is way bigger than when you're starting with younger kids. That's why I think we need to take advantage of the fact that we have a church with so many younger kids and take advantage of that like opportunity to invest in those relationships with those kids because, um, yeah, there's just a lot bigger mountains to climb. I'm not saying we should ignore them and not try. I tried. Um, but um, we, need, we, we need to make this... I think we need to make this a focus of us, of ours. I hope that's not too discouraging. I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm really just trying to call us out about, call me out about um, getting myself to focus. When I think about kids and when I think about raising my kids, I mean, there's, yes, is there an internal part of it? Of course there is. There's a heavy part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been given a heavy responsibility by God to be the primary discipler of my kids' lives. But I also think I've been given just as heavy of a responsibility by God to focus on his lost kids and his lost children, his lost people, adults, children, whoever, who don't have a godly father or a godly mother living in their home. Those, those, people, those kids need just as much. They need more, so. so. I want to pray, and I, I really hope that this is something that, like, you know, will move us in a positive way as we worship together, um, as we remember uh, the communion tables, we remember the cross and what, Je- what Jesus did for us. I mean, I don't, wanna, I, don't want, I don't want you moved out here with a heavy heart, necess- like, you know, um, more of a motivated heart, like remembering the gospel, remembering that Jesus is so amazing and what he did for us and how awesome it would be to have more of these kids, some of these statistics that we see, like even if it's just one that you impact, that you can share the gospel with and change their lives because, or let Jesus change their life, I should say. Like how amazing would that be? That should be what we like get, what I get stoked for. You know, like as, as Megan and I like started more and more investing in these soccer kids, little soccer kids, like, you know, five-year-olds and, and their parents like, I get stoked about the idea that maybe our relationship with this mom who's going through a divorce, maybe our relationship with her can totally change this, these kids' lives for the gospel. Like, that gets me excited. Should get us all excited. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for nor that You are a good and perfect father to us all. You love us so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. Lord, I confess I am a broken person. I am a sinful person. I am always in need of your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. I'm still thankful, Lord, that he has saved me, that his death and resurrection, Lord, has bought me and made me your son made me your child. Lord, I pray that as we think about today, Lord, that we would be motivated um, 
Lord, when it comes to our own kids, when it comes to the kids of the Mount Church, that we would be motivated to be encouraging them, to be lifting them up, to be teaching them the ways of you, that we would be bringing them along with us as we seek to reach out to people, Lord, that they would catch the conviction that is in our hearts, that it would become their convictions as well. Lord, I pray that this conviction would be so strong that it would drive us, Lord, as we are dropping our kids off at our school, as we are taking our kids to practices, as we are doing these different things, that we would be seeking ways in which we can just share your love with the people that so desperately need it. Lord, may your love for us overflow today to the point where we're so bubbling with it, Lord, that we have no other desire but to just share it with those who so much need it and look for ways to share it with those that need it. Help us to see these people, Lord, that the way you see them and be broken for them and be desiring them and be just so motivated to just love on them. Lord, I pray that you would just move us in this place today, that your spirit would be bringing us to submission to you. To you. Pray this all in your son's Jesus' name. Amen.